Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Hello, all you gals and girls out there in Radio Land. In my day. In my day, <laughs> we didn't have podcasts. We only had broadcasting. And in broadcasting is when you went on the air. The air back in those days is when particles would float in literally the air, which would carry sound waves from one device to the other. And in my day, nobody said literally as much as they do nowadays. There was no ringy dingies after saying literally, literally. And now, time for the Carnival Poisonel Sideshow with Joe and Jacques. Take it away, boys. <laughs> Thank you, old Groucho. Uh, welcome to Carnival Personnel's Sideshow. I'm Jacques. And I'm Joe. And Jerry Lewis is dead. <laughs> yeah, I'm Joe. And Jerry Lewis is still dead. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I- I've come to bury Caesar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so, so I mean... It's it's hard to uh, it, like, again like we've lost like three comedic talents this week that we, we talked about a little bit on on Carnival Personnel on the Sunday night broadcast Monday Monday thank you uh, but but Jerry Lewis I I, I want to say unarguably like the the king of comedy I mean he and I'm not quoting the movie you right. know title from the age but truly this is a guy who died at 91 started acting. On stage at the Catskills with his parents in a, in a family uh, act at age five. So wow. 90, 91 minus five, like that's a, carry the, a shitload <laughs> of years. Seriously, eight decades. And again, you know, he, he was one generation behind the, the Bob Hopes and the Bing Crosbys and all that stuff. But you're talking, he was in the public eye on a major national international level ever since 1945 yeah i mean honestly full disclosure i wasn't a big jerry lewis fan growing up not that i didn't like jerry lewis i was just sort of indifferent to jerry lewis like i just wasn't roped in by the magic of jerry lewis i think maybe he was a little too old school for me at the time growing up you know like of course he begat many other comedians who eventually begat Jim Carrey, who I thought was great. Right. But Jim Carrey was sort of like the 90s version of Jerry Lewis. But yeah, Jerry Lewis started it all. He kick-started that sort of goofy, off-the-wall, I'm turning my brain off because Jerry's going to do all the thinking for me. <laughs> right. Comedy. You know, and Jerry himself was a comedy historian. Like, he truly studied what is funny and why. It's great. You know, we'll, we'll get into it, but it's... uh you know, like one one of the, one of the old jokes is like, you know, why does the French like Jerry Lewis so much? And it's like when he dies and gets to heaven, if God is French, there's going to be the fanfare, the red carpet, the trumpets, the big parade, uh, the whole celebration. And if God isn't French, God's going to come down off the throne and say, "Why do the French like you so much?" <laughs> you know. Uh, but he was he was a true you know pioneer in filmmaking. He was a true pioneer in so many aspects of comedy. But again, one of the reasons, being being a, a comedy geek that I am, this is somebody who started on on the stage, w- was a nightclub comedian turned radio personality, turned TV personality, turned movie star, had hit records, like actually could sing. Everybody from that era 
could be were amazing dancers, could play several instruments, you know, couldn't just get by with just singing, just dancing, just acting. They could do you gotta be a everything. Triple or even a quadruple threat to make it. And it's one of those things where, you know, there's so many great documentaries with every every huge comedian in the past sixty years all lining up to say what they like best about Jerry. So I'm a little older than Joe, but my introduction to Jerry truly was back then in like the 70s. It was always the, – the telethons were huge. I mean it was always Labor Day weekend. I, I was telling Joe and he was just kind of shaking his head in disbelief how that was a huge thing for me and our old next-door neighbor, You know, my buddy Mike growing up. We would – as kids, you know, being like nine, ten years old, trying to stay up as long as you can and watch these, and you could wake up at like four in the morning and stuff like that, and just see it. It was a whole week. It was an event. It was yeah. And I was misremembering it when we were talking about it because I thought that they started on Friday nights and ran all weekend long. No, there was Sunday nights at six thirty is when they started, and it would run until about six p.m. Uh, Monday Labor Day. Um, and so it was like 21 and a half hours or something like that. Or tw- My math's a little off, but it's like in the 21 and a half hour right. range. And it was, uh, it was, what did you call it? The Super Bowl the Super of Con. Bowl. Because the Super Bowl wasn't the Super Bowl for me. First of all, you know, I mean, football wasn't my jam as a kid. And the Patriots were absolutely horrible. And this is before the Boston Breakers. You yeah. Know? So this is before the U.S. So we we literally made a big deal about getting together and, like, what snacks we're going to have. How much soda could we drink to stay up as long as you possibly can to, you know, to take it all in. So between the telethons and the other thing is all of his movies, you know, were always on Channel 56 right. or, or Channel 38, the two big UHF channels in New England at the time. It was always the late night. In film. my day, UHF was a frequency on television where we would get movies from back in my day. So <laughs> I, I did. I mean, I, I liked all of those campy, you know, I was a slapstick class clown so i would try to do as much as the Pratt falls uh, i mean i've been doing the ladies <laughs> honestly nice lady ladies. and the thing with the with the other and then you take the the oh. i mean i've been doing that <laughs> shit since i was five six six seven and it all came from watching jerry lewis yeah and you go back and you know, it's like you you know you remember stuff, you misremember stuff, but doing all the, the the research and getting back, it's like, oh fuck, I forgot he did that. I forgot he did that. So do you want to just run through the highlights of his career, like his early yeah. years? Go go right down the list. Uh, well, uh, I mean, so for another full disclosure, Jacques did all the research on this, so I'm just reading off of his paper. But you know, he as he said, he worked with his parents at the age of five in the Catskills Act. Um, by 15, he had his own act. Um, and then he had dropped out of high school in 10th grade, apparently. Never get anywhere. Yeah, a little loser. Whatever happened to him? He didn't go to uh, fight uh, the Nazis. You know, had he lived a couple more years, maybe he'd have a second chance at fighting the Nazis. Yeah, he was only here today. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but he, would, he had apparently a heart murmur, so he was not fit to serve. It was he 4F or something, yeah. probably. Instead, he decided to team up with a little-known singer. In, oh, no, this is after World War II, after the war had ended. Uh, July twenty fifth, nineteen forty six, a day which will live in comedy infamy. And and how he's nineteen when he meets Dean Martin. Yeah, wow. He's nineteen, and Dean Martin's like I think he's eight nine years older than him. Dean Martin is an established 
singer. You know, and, and there used to be a you know he wasn't gigantic. This was pre Rat Pack, obviously. But he was a very well-known club lounge, you know, performer. Um, and he teams up with with Lewis, and who's nineteen years old. I, I mean, think about it. He's like, I mean, we're failures in our mid forties or my mid forties. But he I'm entering my forties. He, uh, but at nineteen, he was one of the biggest nightclub acts, and and they started as a nightclub act. Jerry just being a goofball in between Dean Martin singing, and, and they were hot right out of the gate. Right, day one, yeah. and it was one of those things where, um, and you know, it was all word of mouth. It was all like you know, if you got a good review and like the New Yorker and stuff like that, and their act with within several months wound them up. You know, they started doing radio appearances. They were guest on the first episode of the Ed Sullivan Show, but but they were gigantic. Almost like back then, going and seeing a live club act was huge. It was. And again, it was risky to come off the road, come out of the clubs to do radio. But at the same time, there was, and, and again, the work ethic of that generation, especially with performers who were do a radio show, a TV show, and then turn around and go do a 10, 11 o'clock club show that same night. Yeah. I saw an interview with Lewis, Jerry Lewis on uh, Letterman, where he would say that they did like 10 shows a night. They would do 10 shows a night, 10 like hour-long shows uh, at these clubs um, because the money they were raking in, like, they could pull in like thousands of dollars a night, you right. know, back in the 50s. It, yeah, right. 50s the, the, the early, yeah, the, they the just could 40s. not, the, 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 the crowds were lined up around the block. You know, they'd bust people, you know, they'd have people come in, do a show, clear the crowd, replenish the crowd with, you know, a whole new group and, um, and, and a whole new uh, set of money. And they would just, you know, they, they could not turn the money away. And it's funny because so many people associate Jerry Lewis with Dean Martin. They lasted 10 years to the day because they had contracts with the studios. They ended up getting picked up. I think it was by Paramount Pictures. And the last two or three years, it became one of those things where, and, and so many things, it's like Dean Martin had the bigger name when they started. And Jerry didn't steal the show. He wasn't a show stealer, a scene stealer. That was his act. Yep. He he was the pratfall guy. He was, you know, Dean Martin was always a straight guy. And it was, and if you know comedy, it's like, it's hard to be the straight guy. It's, it's sometimes it's easier to be the class clown, the guy who falls. And then you got the other guy staying in character. Dean Martin was obviously, you know, a world renowned singer at the time. But the press got, you know, Jerry started getting more and more attention, more and more attention. And I guess, you know, the story that I've read from a few places, they were, I think Look Magazine was was on par with like Life Magazine. Yep. And they were the cover story. Jerry had nothing to do with this. They cropped Dean Martin out of it. No. <laughs> and they still had like months left on their contract. But the two of them in a 10-year span of time did thousands upon thousands of club shows. They had a radio show. They had a TV show, and they did 17 movies for Paramount, all that made money, all that were wildly successful. And so it, you would you associate them, you know, as, as being having been leaked for absolutely ever when it was only a ten year collaboration. But again, same thing. It's like Lennon McCartney were together about ten years, and here it is fifty years later. They're still considered. They were no one. No one thinks of like Wings when they think Paul McCartney. It's <laughs> yeah. not the first thing that comes to mind, right? And it's a fascinating because they were an act ten years to the date. 
to the day. Right. Yeah. And and then they didn't speak for nearly 20 years. There was a couple times it was interesting where, you know, Jerry Lewis was doing a club show and, and always working. He was doing a movie called The Bus Boy that the studio was basically backing out of. Jerry was financing it himself. It was a shoestring budget. It was a tight shooting schedule. And they do it at the famous Fountain Blue. I don't think I'm pronouncing it right, but I've been there in Miami. And if you ever go to the Fountain Blue, it's... It you walk into the place and you feel like you walked into a time warp. It's you know um, Hollywood, Florida, in Miami, Florida used to be what Vegas and Hollywood is from like the like after this after Vegas became Vegas and stuff. The six, but for Miami, that's that was the place to be the thirties, the forties, the fifties, especially for the club shows and stuff. So Jerry was doing the movie and doing club acts at night. Wow, uh, he was basically suffering from exhaustion and. He didn't call Dean, but like one of you know the people said, "Hey, you're in town. Can you come in and do this show for you know filling for Jerry?" He's like, "Yeah, sure," you know. So so they didn't. It was one of those things. And then you've you've seen the clips about when they finally reunited. Yeah. So on Jerry's telethon, the MDA uh, Labor Day telethon in 1976, 20 years later, uh, a little known mutual friend. Uh, got them back together. Who is his friend? Uh, Frank Sinatra. Never heard of him. Okay. Frank Sinatra, he, he appears on Jerry's Telethon. He's rapping with Jerry in front of the orchestra. They're just sort of uh, chit-chatting, and then he goes, Frank says to Jerry, uh, you know, I want to bring out a friend of mine who uh, he, he really wants to, he, he wants to say hello, and he wants to make a, a contribution to the Telethon. And he comes on out, and it's Dean Martin. And uh, the look on Jerry's face when he sees Dean is like, just like this sort of like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Smiling ear to ear. Uh, Dean comes out, cigarette in hand. Really? He yeah. was a smoker. Yeah, he was. They, uh, give, they give each other a hug, a little kiss on the cheek. Uh, they go into their act for, uh, you know... Right right into, if you look it up. Yeah, they go right into their act like they hadn't missed a beat. I don't know. So how you been? <laughs> you know, it seems like uh, we, we haven't seen each other uh, for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there was all those rumors about our breaking up, and then when I started the show and you weren't here, I believed it. Uh, so, you working? No, I was. I had to. I had to come in because I. I had to. You know. I had to go, and this was the closest place. <laughs> you always have to go. I always drink. You know? <laughs> I, I don't know if Jerry dismisses himself, or Frank kicks Jerry off stage to do a number with Dean, and then they would cut to Jerry on the side while G- Dean and Frank were singing. And um, you can just sort of see like this sort of like look of like what did I miss out on in the last twenty years? Like what was this all about? And if you look at what I mean, in that twenty years was the birth of the Rat Pack, and you know what Dean and Dean did, and what he did solo, what he did with Frank, they really built Vegas. I mean, and stuff like that. And Jerry went on to do. I mean, seriously, in that twenty years, he did another thirty some movies, uh, both giants. But you can tell it's like oh fuck. 
you know, the, 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 what is it? The sum of the whole is greater than the... Uh, the sum of the uh, parts is equal to the square root of the hypotenuse. Anyways, they, they, they both... <laughs> We're not good with even theoretical math. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'm married to an Asian, you know? <laughs> Wait, that's... Cut. <laughs> no, that's... Anyways, you know, uh, my kids are a quarter Asian, so they'll be good at math to the sixth grade, I'm thinking. We'll, we'll save our, our racist <laughs> Asian jokes for when we talk about with six you get egg roll. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, but seriously, they, uh, they, they realized, and they both had done interviews after that. It's like, what the fuck? Like, truly. But when you saw, like, when you see the clip, it, it's astonishing. It, it's the riding a bike. They just picked up where they left off, and the telethon actually started ten years before. And Jerry was a regular. Jerry and and, and Dean were regulars on the telethon that every year was hosted by different people than the one year oh, right. hosted by Bing Crosby and, and Bob Hope, right. who were, Jerry and Dean, just 10 years older and more down the road. And to see the four of them out there doing it, but it was the same act. And it was great when you see you know, Jerry and Dean just fall into it. And it, it is. It's the, like the look on both of them. It's like, what, it, you know, this, they loved each other. This was truly, they had a fantastic marriage that got rocky towards the end because stupid jealousy type thing. Yep. And then they didn't talk for 20 years. And it's like the friendship that they missed out on in that time, you could tell both of them were like, we're just assholes. Yeah, and then they, they maintained a friendship uh, off screen pretty much for the, the, the rest of Dean's life, which was about 20 years. And here's a, here's a fun fact that I did, not, I did not know that. I did not know that. Norman Lear was one of their early comedy writers. Like, wow. like we're going back like 1940, like, so they get together 46. It's 1948, 19, you know, 48, 49 that Norman Lear comes into the picture as one of the writers. And again, it's like you, you're harking back to your show of shows and you see who Sid Caesar's writers were yeah. and it was just like woody allen and all those guys yeah. and he was the youngest one I right mean, all everybody but when you think like oh, fuck norman lear this is 30 years before norman lear or about 25 years before norman lear is norman lear who completely dominated the the television landscape all through the 70s and the early 80s yep completely dominant but he started off as a comedy a bit writer for these guys right um and then, you know, uh, just I guess uh, another fun fact about Martin and Lewis is apparently they had their own comic book. Uh, from DC Comics, of all things. Right. Uh, those of you who don't know DC Comics, um, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Uh, but the greatest comic magazine ever, Batman, Superman, uh, you know, all that. But yeah, they, they had a long-running comic as Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, and then when they broke up... They stuck with Jerry Lewis. It was another, you know, decade-plus run. Just Jerry... And they did. They, they like everything else. They had Batman do episodes. They had Superman. They had their A listers, and it was a very um, God almost. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Like an Archie's kind of comic slapsticky thing. I'm just envisioning heard. if the if Martin and Lewis had stuck together through the '60s, but they have appeared on Scooby Doo together. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They would have done all of that. They would have done all the teeth. They would have shown up on an episode of The Brady's. You you know that would have happened. All that kind of stuff. Like the Brady's go to Vegas. What? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. No. That that was um. You know, it was fun going back. But again. When you talk about him starting at five with his family on stage, 
that was that was just the way it was. There was no child labor laws. Or, I've never heard the stories of him resenting that. And when he had his own act at age 15, and Joe and I were just watching a clip of it, well, not when he was 15, there's no footage of that, but his routine was pantomiming to records. Like he would l- just come out with, with a record player, put the needle down, and pantomime playing and singing, you know, the whole thing, but over the top, exaggerated comedic form. That, you know, we see, you know, there's a documentary out there that we were watching footage of where it's showing a clip of one of his late 50 movies and he's doing that same bit. Yeah, it was Method to the Madness of Jerry Lewis, is the documentary trailer that we watched. Uh, you know, it, it, and, it, and, and in that trailer, you see that and then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, when you see the famous birth of Andy Kaufman on Saturday Night Live doing his coming out with a record player as Laka. And and you know that that was a one line that you, you were talking about that he knew for or the, here the I character. come to save the day yeah yeah we'd sing along to the Mickey, uh, to the Mighty Mouse theme song and they only know the one line here I come to save the day but uh, it was sort of a take on apparently the Jerry Lewis just sort of pantomiming to a record which was done you know twenty years prior yeah yeah well his 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 Catskill thing was done maybe oh yeah so even thirty years yeah, prior yeah, right. Yeah. This guy was comedy. And then, uh, you know, speaking of comedy, it's like he probably, you know, if you're my age, like the biggest movie that he did like post-80s was uh, King of Comedy. Yeah, King of Comedy. couple uh, of nobodies in that. Yeah, Robert De Niro, Sandra Bernhard. Yeah. And, and, who, dire- dire- and who directed that? Uh, Martin Scorsese? Says he never, yeah. never heard of that. Nah, whatever. Anyways, a uh, little movie that was filmed in New York City about a guy, Rupert Pupkin, uh, who wanted to be uh, a, a big-time like celebrity talk show host. So Rupert Pupkin uh, is a fan of talk show host Jerry Langford. And, um, and it was originally, apparently, the character's name was going to be Larry Langford. And uh, when they were producing the movie, Jerry was talking with Mar- Marty Scorsese. I call him Marty. Uh, about changing the character's name from Larry to Jerry because... If they're filming in and around New York City, um, he said, you know, it, it would probably be better if we named the character Jerry because you're going to get a reaction f- that you're, you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise with any other star. And so they film the scene, and immediately they, he gets out of his cab. He's walking down the street, Jerry Lewis. And all of a sudden, you see construction workers from, like, you know, rooftops yelling, Hey, Jerry! And cab drivers, Jerry, what's going on? So he's essentially given them hundreds of free extras in this movie that they didn't realize were being filmed because he was that known to people. And that and that's one of the brilliant things with Jerry Lewis is nothing was accidental. His comedy, although it looked like slapstick and, and largely improvised, but the improv was well was well rehearsed ish. You know, with he knew what he was doing. There was always something going on. He knew all the pieces on the board. You know, and again, I, I reached out to my friend Orly, who is in he she works in in film in France. <laughs> you know, uh, she didn't migrate there. She's born and raised in France, and she's been in the film industry over there for a decade plus. And I reached out to her and I asked her, it's like, why did the French love him so much? And she's like, I really don't know, but they really did. And I looked into it more and more. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that he he was an artist. He he was a writer. He was a director. He did not invent, but he truly pioneered playback in, in video. He was one of the first real directors 
and it was kind of a crude um, bastardization of security footage. Like when security was, you know, you know, cameras first became a thing, it was always recorded to like, you know, tape. Closed circuit television kind of thing. And, and that's what he used. He ended up like instead yeah, of had, waiting. He had instant, play, instant replay basically. Um, so he really pioneered that. But at the same time, he, he, he loved filmmaking. He loved the process of filmmaking. And, you know, Joe and I have done skits on different iterations of comedy shows we've done, making fun of arrogant French filmmakers. But he was, he was one of those guys. He was a complete slapstick clown, but also revered as an artist in, in, a, in a culture and in a society over there that really put an emphasis. I mean, and it's a funny thing. Even now, it's, it's starting to change in the rest of the world where you used to just go see a movie because this actor was in it. And they started to, you know, they were 20 years ahead of the curve where people would go see a movie because this guy directed it. So they, they, they knew the directors where before it didn't matter who directed as long as Jerry and Dean were in it, anybody was going to go see it. But that, that was one of the reasons that they loved him so much. Yeah, here's a quick rundown of some of the films that Jerry did on his own, starting with The Bellboy from 1960. He went on to do Cinderfella, The Ladies' Man, The Errand Boy, It's Only Money, The Nutty Professor... Uh, who's Minding the Store? The Patsy, The Disorderly Orderly, The Family Jewels. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and The Family Jewels, it's one of my favorite. He play, It's one of those things where he plays seven different roles. Right. It's an orphan who has to pick like between her six different uncles who all want nothing to do with her but just wants the money she's inherited. And he plays all six uncles and the chauffeur driver who drives her to see all the uncles. Did you know? Uh, did you know this? Um, I, I did not know this, Jacques. Um, uh, he was in an episode of Batman. I did. Damn it. Yeah. He was a citizen. Well, well, it, it, <laughs> that, that's when we when we did our Adam West thing, and we were talking about where Batman wanted to, like all these A-listers wanted to be on it. He was one of those, like the man on the street, just yeah, the guy that was the guy that pops his head out the window while they're climbing. Yeah, yeah they the had bat Sammy rope. Davis Jr. be one of those guys, and this wow. was just the guy on the street type thing. Yeah, there's a uh, Boeing, Boeing, uh, three on a couch, way, way out, the big mouth. Then there's also a, a movie that he wrote and directed. Uh, that was a passion project. The uh, it was an infamous movie that was oh, really tell tell me about it. <laughs> it was never uh, never released, unfortunately. I don't know if it'll ever be released. Maybe now that he's passed, maybe there'll be some renewed interest in releasing this. Right. Well, the, well, the the word was that that he's had all copies destroyed, but there uh, rumors. There's a rumor. Yeah. That there was a couple copies floating around. Right. I mean. There have been actors, like, actually, Harry Shearer. He's reported that he's actually seen the movie. Really? Yes. And what is this movie? Uh, a family comedy, right? A, a little romp through... The Day the Clown Cried. And, and, and you want to you wanna bring down the room by telling the premise? The easy one-sentence synopsis is, Jerry plays a, a clown in a Nazi concentration camp who has to cheer up the children... Before they get marched into the ovens. Right. He's entertaining the children on their way into the gas chambers. The gas chambers. Right. Not the ovens. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess they get burned after they get gas, but, you know, we're splitting hairs here. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, that really? Oh, you know, and, and when, you, <laughs> when you think about that, this, this is, again, that movie's made less than 30 years after, like, the liberation of Auschwitz. And it's like, wow. 
It's just hard to imagine that anybody thought this was going to be a good idea. And I was wrong. He did not write it. It was based on a script of the same name by Joan O'Brien, as I'm reading off Wikipedia, who had co-written the original script with Charles Denton uh, 10 years previously. And this was from 1972 when they filmed this. He was, um, he was ashamed of the work at the end of the day, yeah, which is why it's not released. You know, the other thing, you know, with the French, he spoke French like, like a native. And so when he shot movies in France, there was no, you know, bad, bad overdubs. There was no bad translation. Um, but yeah, when, you know, and I think, I think this was shot in France. I think that's where the production of this had happened. You could be right. Yeah, I'm not reading anything. Which I think is one of the Oh, reasons. no, it began in Sweden. And maybe it got moved to France. But uh, yeah, yeah, and it's just one of these fascinating kind of like, talk about urban legends. Like this is probably one of the top right. three urban legends in, in, in filmmaking. Film history. Yeah. I don't know if the Swedes produced this or if the French produced this or the Germans. The Germans. Um, the Germans. Uh, yes, not the Germans. Right. But there is a, they reenact scenes from the script and then interlace it with found footage of the movie. Oh. So you can go online and look this up. There are excerpts of the movie that you can see online of the day the clown cried um, with original f- real footage, but then they fill in the blanks with like kind of black box, you know, reenacting of, right. uh, of these scenes. But it's fascinating that this was actually something that he put his money into and, and wanted, he thought it was a good idea at the time. Right. So, I mean, again, this is a guy who was at 19 years old just killing it doing you know dozens of shows a week with dean um he passed away with dates on the book there isn't a comedian who's let's say over 30 35 who doesn't say i can date back this bid or or this part of my comedy to him whether it's a stage performer whether it's a slap i mean and yeah he he didn't win everybody over you know we're not we're not saying he didn't make you know ruffle some feathers on the way he he had some you know parts of him that you know certain you know hard to work with and arrogant and stuff but a true pioneer in filmmaking. Before we wrap up, we should probably spend a little bit of time. You kind of teased it. We we we, we talked about it throughout the podcast, but the really big thing that most people from our generation know Jerry from is from the MDA telethon. That's where you got to see a taste of old Hollywood um, and in sort of that old Vegas. Right. You know? it had, well, the that funny thing is, atmosphere. it started in, when he started doing it, it was done in LA. Yep. And two or three years, I think two or three years in, Ed McMahon went from being kind of the announcer to being a complete co-host in and, and 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 oh, who's that other guy that Matt McMahon worked for? Oh yeah, Johnny Carson used to start the show with doing the monologue before it moved to Vegas. But you did, you you had that old Vegasy feel, but it had a lot of like the the current actors and stuff like that. I mean, so he he was he was bridging the gap through that whole time with the older people and bringing in you know the 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 the, the actors that the the, the the kids would know. Yeah, I mean, he started the telethon in 1966 called its network of participating stations the Love Network, originated in Los Angeles for 28 of the years that it had broad, been broadcast. We saw it locally here on Channel 5. It was certainly an, it was certainly an event. It was a, a chance for us to see acts like Rickles. Um, as the years went on, 
the acts became less and less uh, known and less and less uh, desirable, I guess, uh, or they weren't they weren't as big a grabbers as say a Don Rickles. When we get to the two thousands, that's when um, you know with the advent of the internet, uh, people had more choices, more ways to donate uh, to the MDA. Um, and then, you know, the acts just became older and tired. And then they started becoming a parody of themselves. And then, you know, you can look on YouTube. In, like, 2003, Jerry became ill. Uh, and he was uh, undergoing some treatment for some uh, some ailment. And uh, he became very large and very puffy. He might have been um, taking some, some steroids. But uh, there's a memorable... I think it's memorable because I just recently watched it. Uh, Don Rickles comes out on a 2003 appearance and sits down on a couch next to Jerry, who's at his desk, and just lambasts him. I mean, lambasts him for his his size, uh, <laughs> lambasts people in the audience, uh, material that you would not uh, ever, ever get away with uh, today. And he barely got away with it back in 2003. It was uh, it was it was just an awful thing. But the the two thousands is when those acts like you would see like these acts diminish in quality over the over the years. You know, you would have like the one Don Rickles come out, and then everybody else would be like, you know, the the spoon player from down the street. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, I think like the chocolate rain guy from the internet made an appearance. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, but Ed McMahon stuck throughout the whole thing, and it was kind of. And then yeah, the, and by the time the 2010s rolled around, uh, the show be- went from a 21-hour event to like a three-hour event. Yeah. Because of his age, he couldn't do the telethon as long as he could in the previous years. You know, and it, it, it's funny how perceptions changed over the years where there was a lot of people who who didn't like the idea that people went from him raising money in like a pity party to – and all the money was being spent on like curing this thing versus being spent on helping people live. He did raise $2 billion over yeah. the course of his lifetime to uh, for the Muscular Dystrophy Association, so nothing to sneeze at. But still, and again, you know, he did it from a good place, and he was he started doing you know when he started doing the the telethon, it had already been running that he had already been making appearances on and stuff like that. So, yeah. and, and he, it, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, and part of the criticism uh, came from uh, a woman who uh, Jerry had never met, and this may be lead to the next topic of controversy for Jerry Lewis. But um, uh, Jerry Lewis did a town hall. For Sirius XM Radio a couple of years ago, and uh, Maria Menounos was the host, and she was asking Jerry if there was anybody uh, that uh, he missed, because, you know, people, all of his friends had been dying off in recent years, and he says, is there anybody that you would miss the most? And he goes, well, you know, you, you you don't miss somebody the most. You always, you miss all of them daily, except for Joan Rivers. (laughs) <laughs> and then, so, she's like, what does that mean? He goes, well, when I was doing the telethon, Joan had come out and said in the press that if it weren't for the telethon, Jerry wouldn't have a career. And I thought that that was just mean and disrespectful, and it undermined everything that I was helping trying to do for this organization. And uh, I had never met the woman, and I... And, um, 
I'm glad I kept that streak alive. Essentially, uh, ouch. Yeah, and 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 by this time, by the interview, by the time the interview happened, uh, Joan had passed. But yeah, he got criticism, and and then it also led to maybe some comments that he had made in later years about female comedians in general. Right. Right. Well, you know, but but on the other hand, then you have people like Carol Burnett saying like she had a career. Because she was basically doing Jerry Lewis. She, you know, she had adopted so much of his physical comedy and stuff like that. You know, you don't excuse bad behavior just because it's a generational thing. But, hey, I'm not saying all his ideals would have been great. And what I'm talking about specifically was that he he had mentioned uh, to reporters in his later years that uh, he was asked, which female comedians do you find most entertaining nowadays and he said something to the effect of none of them (laughs) the the long and the short of it is is that he didn't like the way that some comedian like female comedians try to do a quote-unquote a male act where they try to be over the top and kind of outrageous and maybe a little gross you know They, they he felt probably in his kind of old sexist mind that women should hold themselves to a higher standard and be more elegant versus getting down in the dirt so he wouldn't be yelling, get off my lawn, if they weren't on his lawn in the first place. <laughs> so, you know, why? No, but that's... but he, And here's the other thing. It's like, so he starts really being a public, public figure at age 19. So you're, you're, you're talking over 65 years. He's going to say awful Archie Bunker-esque things coming from that age. He's not... When he's done, and gosh, let's see, he did like 17 movies with Dean Martin in 10 years, yeah. and then he did another 40-some after that. Well, let's let's put it in perspective. Uh, another person who's been around uh, as long as Jerry Lewis, uh, maybe not as so much in the, in the limelight, but who's up there in age with Jerry Lewis, Norman Lear. Yeah. Okay. He, speaking of Archie Bunker esque things, what's the most Archie Bunker esque thing that he Norman Lear has ever said publicly that it wasn't through the lips of Archie Bunker? Which was what? No, no, no I'm asking. Oh, you, right, like, right. Yeah, no. So he's, he's, he's like, he's, you can be old and not be an asshole. Really? Yeah. Because like, as I'm getting older, I'm, <laughs> I'm finding that's not so much the case. Like, you okay, so like, right, like, <laughs> like Carl Reiner's still around. Mel Brooks. Like these aren't like they, right. these aren't people with chauvinistic. Ideals who grew up in the same exact culture as, as what did I tell you about bringing facts into my <laughs> arguments? Don't you know? You don't come over here spouting, you know. Don't bring knife to a gunfight, motherfucker. So, but uh, but again, so perfect person, no, but truly, like, and again, like you know, maybe like Mel Brooks would be the last link to that era, but he again is ten years past, you know. Um, um, or ten years younger, I think. Some, no, man, he's in his nineties. These are like, are they, yeah, these, these are all ninety-something year old people. Yeah, because Norman Lear, like, you know, has like two or three books coming out. He has a podcast, a weekly podcast. That's all, awesome. All the things above, by the way. Um, but yeah, no, you can be old and nice at the same time. Apparently, it just, I guess you just have to have the right perspective. And, and you know, I mean, Jerry shouldn't be remembered for. Hating women in comedy, <laughs> or for t- taking money from crippled kids. I don't think he took the money. Oh, from okay. Whoops. Kid. I'm. Do- I don't know what I'm doing. Now. But but uh, no. I, you know, let's end on a high note. I would. It, Bill Cosby. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> So he's so at least he's not raping the women he didn't think were funny. Well, let's. I also want to bring in one other thing: is that the influence in pop culture that Jerry Lewis has had. I mean, how everybody does the voice. Everybody yeah. knows the voice, and of course the. 
the the most known kind of obscure character in pop culture today is on the simpsons right Professor Frank. Yes. The beakers and the duds. With the glaive and then the hay and the hay. Um, well, that would require some sort of a rebigulator, which the very thought of would make me laugh with the hay and the hole and the hay and the whoa. Um, and Done I, by Frank Azaria, by the way. I almost forgot. It's like, so doing the research, and I, I had seen it years ago. I am not a religious man, but I do uh, pray at the altar of Kurt Vonnegut. I think the greatest American novelist of all time. I think he should have been made king of the world somewhere in the late 60s, early 70s. It'd be a complete utopia. Anyways, Kurt Vonnegut books cannot be turned into good movies. It has never happened. It, it, it kills me to say that. It's never happened. There's been a couple short stories of his that has become shorts. You know, from, from his book, Mel- Welcome to the Monkey House, people have taken collections of, like, two, three, three-page stories and made shorts of them. Like, you know, it's called Welcome to the Monkey House. That's, that's worth a watch. But Jerry Lewis and Madeline Kahn did a movie called Another Kind of Slapstick. And they play their own parents. They were freaks of nature. They were, like, seven feet tall twins that were so ugly and hideous, born to, like, the richest people in America at the time. Uh, And this is when America is down in the dumps and, like, gas is too expensive, so they converted all the cars to run on chicken poop. Even Air Force One is is running chicken poop. And the brother and sister are the smartest people who have ever walked the planet, but they have to be physically – they basically have to be having sex, and they can solve all – the world's problems, including gravity, including this. Um, I think the Rotten Tomato. So we're under the Red Hood had a score of what was it? One hundred percent. What do you think the score of Slapstick was? Zero percent. It was zero percent. <laughs> and I watched it in its entirety, and I'm like, oh, and it was one of those things where it's, it's not that bad. It, well, well, if you look at it from, <laughs> if you take into consider, yeah, that's like that's like trying to defend Trump. <laughs> it's like basically trying to defend Donald Trump. <laughs> right, right. Well, he's not—he's not a Nazi. Well, and if, if it's—you know—I knew it had a zero, and I rewatched it, knowing that you can't make a good Vonnegut movie. It was—I look. It was on YouTube. I didn't. I didn't even feel like Redbox stole a dollar ninety-eight from me. Uh, no late fees, rewinding for not rewinding the tape and bringing it back. Uh, I'm not going to say it's worth a watch, uh, but if you see a couple clips, but uh, but on a high note, I would look at that you know documentary that you referenced earlier. The method of the madness of Jerry Lewis. Um, I would recommend Family Jewels. Um, you know, no double entendre there. I would watch the movie Family Jewels. It was pretty great. But if you want to watch a couple of clips and try not to fall down the rabbit hole, you, you know, just Google any of the Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis stuff. It's campy. Uh, it's it's a bit dated, but it's still hysterical. Yeah, and Jerry Lewis on David Letterman, a couple of great appearances. Again, him and Ned McMahon worked together for 40 years on the telethon. And there's one great clip that I, I recently saw where um, Johnny Carson also spoke complete fluent French. Again, it, like they did almost a whole interview in French. And I can't imagine how many people in America were thrilled with that that <laughs> night. Uh, but it was great. But yeah, he did a couple great, great Letterman, you know, Letterman interviews. But it's hard not to go down the rabbit hole. I like old comics. I like the stuff from the late 40s, the early 50s. Like I said to Joe, it's like I, I was born definitely 50 years too late. I love that cat school shit. But I, but yeah, I mean, you know, doing the research and stuff like that, I did. I, I started 
watching like a two, three minute clip and like four hours later, I'm like, oh crap, I haven't fed the kids. <laughs> you know, I'm still sitting here in my boxes. Attractive. Yeah, you know. Ladies. Ladies. <laughs> All right. On that note, we're wrapping it up. Rest in peace, Jerry. And do not forget.